Blog Talk Radio. Yeah, this is your boy, G-Ski Rocks. And this is going out to the lovely, lovely women of the world. I know sometimes you have to make a hard decision. But I want you to think about I am on the air with my great friend and co-host. Hey, hey there, Thomas. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you, Leticia? All right. Hey, I am celebrating the fact that I'm hands-free today. Woohoo! <laughs> Technology. It's wonderful when it works, isn't it? Yes, you sound much clearer. Thank you. Well, how, I know you you have some technology issues that you're dealing with, too, so it's always something. It's always well, something. I had some technology issues that I was dealing with. I had to shell out $200 to get those technology issues fixed, so there you go. Yeah, I know. Sometimes, sometimes it's tough, and uh, that's what it takes. But uh, you're okay? Yep. yep. <laughs> All right. Well, glad to have you on. I want to <clears throat> let everybody know that uh, this is True Life Fridays Radio. We have where we talk about all things that are related to the true life perspective. And it's an educational show as well as a commentary. Thank you for joining us. And Thomas, take it away. Deuteronomy. Chapter 30, verse 19 says this, I have recorded this day against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life so that you and your seed might live. Dear Heavenly Father, in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, we give you glory, honor, and praise. Father God, we thank you for another opportunity of True Life Friday to host Another episode of True Life Fridays Radio, Lord God. Father, we are thankful and grateful for our guests that we have today, both of them. And, Lord, I pray that the listeners will be inspired and they will be uplifted on what we're going to find out today. There's some other things, issues, 
to you, Lord God. But we pray that people will be equipped and that they would be able to go out and make a difference. Ask that you bless the host, bless myself, bless our third our third arm who cannot be here tonight, Melissa, as she is out interceding on behalf of life, Lord God. We pray that you give her favor with that young lady, Lord God, as she seeks to bring to her the message of the gospel of your love. So we bless you and we love you. In the mighty name of your son, Jesus Christ, we give you glory, honor, and praise. Amen. Amen. Can you hear me? I'm testing my mic again. You are clear as a whistle. Thank you. Well, I wanted to start the show off with something pretty grave today. As we speak, the fate of an Iranian woman who was framed for murder after an attempted rape is literally on the line. And I apologize for the unintended puns. It's a blessing and a curse. The woman named by the name of Rehana Jabari was tried, convicted, and sentenced to death by hanging by an Iranian court when authorities who had admitted to her that the death of the murdered man was a planned political assassination, according to one report that I'm looking at right now. Um, it's written by the, the uh, Gatestone Institute, which is an international policy council who has been following her story uh, for quite some time. She has two uh, legal activists trying to get her freed. But unfortunately, uh, they haven't been successful so far. And in a few days, if not hours, we have absolutely no idea what the time frame is uh, at this point. But she has been sentenced to die for a crime she did not commit. Uh, But of course, she's going to the gallows because they need a scapegoat. Well, apparently during the the, uh, rape attempt on her, Jabari fought back, stabbed her attacker in the shoulder, and he died afterwards. Mm-hmm. Okay, wow. so let's cut to the chase. Without intervention, and there have been some significant attempts, I, I have to say that there have been, Ms. Jabari will be executed soon. Now, I want everybody in politically correct land out there who would like me to talk about this story in isolation. But um, that would be robbing you of the education you need. Ms. Jabari is is certainly a victim of forces beyond her control. I think she was set up. It's pretty clear she was set up, attacked, then tortured until she confessed to murder. And for that alone, she should be freed from the injustice that has befallen her. But, there's always a but, there is more. Let me tell you a little story about Brandeis University. Oh, no, here we go. Yes, that's I'm going to take you there. And what took place this past week? As you probably have heard, Brandeis U initially wanted to bestow an honorary degree on notable humanitarian speaker Ayan Hirsi Ali. And I say humanitarian instead of women's rights because 
the poor abortion banshees in this country have driven that term into the septic tank. Well, but I I digress. Miss Ali has been forced. I'm sorry. Miss Ali has been a force for the global recognition and moral recoil at the systematic oppression and torture of women in many countries, particularly those that are Islam dominant. After objections from the Council on American Islamic Relations, or CARE, and an online petition sent by students of Brandeis calling Ms. Ali a quote-unquote notorious Islamophobe, Brandeis changed their mind and withdrew their honor. Now, there's, there's an intended pun right there. So here's a clip of Ms. Ali's response to Brandeis' used decision, and she was on Fox News with Megyn Kelly uh, either last night or the night before. And if I can find the, find the clip, hang in there. Here we go. And will it play for me? Hey, if it won't play for me, will it play for you? <laughs> which, which one is it? It's the Kelly Ollie interview. Okay, let me get, let me see. Kelly Ollie, it should play. Kelly Ollie interview, okay. What surprised me is the decision by Brandeis first to say, you know, we want to give you this honor, we know what you do, and in the age of Google, all of that is out there. It's all public. And to come around and say we really didn't know some of these things, I think it's a very feeble excuse. But I don't want this to distract us from what I wanted to say during that commencement, which was to tell these students how incredibly privileged they are, and especially the female students amongst them, that they are growing up in a world that is free, where they have proper education, and that the way to get to a better world, a world of peace, is to, ha- to, to get the ability as young people to learn how to think critically. And I know that my presence for the Muslim students in Brandeis and other universities is offensive. It's maybe whatever they call it, insulting. Sometimes they call it, it is controversial. But I thought that's exactly what universities are for. We send our kids to school so that they can be confronted with ideas that they're not comfortable with. Do you, do you feel that Brandeis is engaging in a double standard? Because they have uh, given honorary degrees to some controversial figures, including uh, Tony Kushner and uh, others. And they, you know, people have pushed back against them for making some comments that have been perceived as anti-Jewish, and yet there was no problem. They gave them degrees and not you. Not, moreover, you know, Ahmadinejad went and spoke at Columbia University. I don't remember Kerr objecting to that. I think if you insult Jews in this country, if you insult Christians in this country, if you insult Mormons, I've watched the Book of Mormon, uh, you will get people who will write to you about their outrage. But there's always this fear that if you insult Muslims, there's going to be some kind of violent repercussion. And that may have been part of the decision to do that, but they're not doing their students any favors and they're not doing their Muslim students any favors because to really be assimilated into American society, to become American, is to accept the idea that you can have 
a robust debate. And there's no other place better to do that than on university campuses. Mm -hmm. And uh, the decision of the Brandeis University is really regrettable. It makes me sad. All right, so um, sorry about that. For for the purposes of this show today, and in the interest of time, I want to make it clear that this isn't about Islam. At least it isn't about it today. Uh, this is about blatant hypocrisy on the part of Brandeis for caving into the false accusations of Islamophobia on the part of Miss Ali, a woman. Right. A woman who is strident in her humanitarian efforts to free women from the practices that are, uh, that are widespread, like female genital mutilation, forced child marriage, forced home imprisonment, sex slavery, polygamy, and legal rape. I'm sure there's others. Right. I want to know, does being against all these abhorrent practices make her an Islamophobe? I don't think so. But only if you care and can't see that a better position for them care to take, if they really mean what's on their website, you know, what their website states about them, uh, the better position for them to take would be to embrace all that Ms. Ali is championing and say publicly that they share her views and will work to eliminate those abuses of women in the cultures that are Islam-dominant. But what are they doing instead? They're, they're not terrorism. saying... Yeah? They're promoting terrorism. That's what they're doing, but I digress. <laughs> well, I, I think they're showing their true agenda, which is consistent with their founders who were members of Hamas and linked mm -hmm. to the Muslim Brotherhood. So, right. well, you know, while you're saying that they're promoting terrorism, I, I would say that they would make a very fine distinction and say they're not not promoting terrorism. <laughs> they are <laughs> shutting down screenings of Honor Diaries, which is a documentary that has Miss Ali in it talking about the treatment of women in Islam-dominant countries because they don't ha like how all this violence is being linked to Sharia law. They right. shut down Brandeis, Brandeis University's plans because they can't stand to see a woman who escaped that kind of treatment turn around and expose the abuses of women that come from it. They have to call it Islamophobia, even though I think Ms. Ali, if given the chance, would accept it if care came out and made efforts to ban Sharia law everywhere. Right. Boom. I know. Did anyone fall out of their chairs yet? I, I, am I asking for rainbows to shoot out of the rear ends of unicorns? I don't know. So, but what does this have to do with Rehana Jabari, you ask? Well, the Sharia-compliant view of women is what is keeping Ms. Jabari in prison under the impending death right now, her impending death. Ms. Jabari is a woman who was targeted as a rape victim. 
because women have no meaningful standing in court to defend themselves in rape under Sharia law. She, Ms. Jabari, she is the reason why Ayan Hirsi Ali is the outspoken critic that she is of the laws in countries like Iran. Right. And CARE wants everyone to think this is about Islamophobia. Well, let me ask. The woman who is about to be hanged, framed for murder, how much do you think she cares right now about Islamophobia? I don't think she cares very much. Right. I think she cares right now more about why she is being, well, I think she knows why. She's being a political pawn. But I think she cares more about Who's going to help her? What kind of mercy is going to be shown to her? And who's on her side in her innocence? I don't think she right. cares one whit about anyone who is standing up to see her and, and women like her that are being imprisoned um, and charged for being raped. And this is, that, that happens quite frequently. Women are sent to prison for being the victim of rape. Uh, I don't think she cares that Ayan Hirsi Ali or people like her or people that are appearing in the, in the Honor Diaries film or anybody speaking up on behalf of women that are suffering under the yoke of oppression in Islam-dominant countries. I don't care. I don't think she cares that those women are not Muslim. Some of them maybe are, but I don't think she cares. Because the mentality of the law that has allowed women to be sent to prison for being raped is a hand in the glove of the laws that are there. Sharia law is what rules Iran. And where does it come from? It comes from, okay, I told you this wasn't going to be about Islam, and it's not. It comes from men who happen to believe what their religion teaches about women, status of women. Because remember, women do not have legal standing in a court of law. So in Iran, Rehana Jabari can't speak in her own defense. By law, she can't speak in her own defense. There is nobody to defend her. According to uh, Sharia law, if she, doesn't, if she can't produce or there isn't found four men to say that she's innocent, she's guilty. I mean, only here in America we stick very closely to this idea in our, our jurisprudence that people are presumed innocent until proven guilty. Well, it's not like that in Iran or in right. much of the Middle East or much in these countries that, uh, that practice all the abuses of women that we've talked about. It doesn't happen. Hey, I have a question, Leticia. Yeah. Go ahead. So, and this is, this is i got to add a little caveat before I ask my question. So, for those 
people out there who may not have a sense of humor, like we may have some lurking um, Islamists and liberals hiding and listening. So would it be cruel if there was a nation that rose up that was so indignant towards how women were being treated in these Muslim nations that if that nation could, they just said, okay, you want to treat women like that? We'll just we'll just wipe you off the face of the earth, and they just they just proceeded to nuke every Muslim nation on earth. And my re, my question in asking that I know it's I know the world would say, oh my God, tra- tragedy, tragedy, you're doing this. What about the tragedy and how arrogant, pompous, male chauvinistic individuals who try to masquerade as men, but they're nothing but a bunch of boys and cowards while you're at it, get to brutally kill women in the name of honor killing, uh, like you said earlier, um, genitalia mutilation, all that garbage. But you don't hear a peep from the human rights um, people except those women who have experienced it firsthand. Right. Um, um, oh, well, what is your question again? My question is, shouldn't turnabout be fair play? Shouldn't they be, shouldn't those women be allowed to treat those men cruel as they want to, to defend themselves? I, I don't know if this is a question of should. Uh, for me, if you're asking the question to me, and uh, our audience is actually feels free if they feel free to call in and ask their own questions about what and and contribute their input. Um, the number to call in is seven six zero five four two three nine zero seven to jump in on the conversation. I think that in, in a world without without any guiding principles, this somebody would certainly feel like that women should be able to rise up and attack their oppressors the same way that they've been attacked. Uh, However, that is thankfully not the principles I live by because I am a Bible believing Christian that (laughs) I mean, I'm not sure what you're really getting at. I mean, in what world would this be considered just? Well, in the world where there is no Christianity, that would be considered just. Um, in the world where where actually very few very few religions would venture that might can be considered just i don't right. know that that would contribute to the solution though you know and you're and you're absolutely right you're absolutely right, but you know at some point and it's kind of funny that you uh, that you had this dialogue because I actually read an article like two days ago, about a child bride somewhere in Africa who murdered her husband and three of his friends with rat poison because she was forced to marry him. And she was, I think, I'm trying to remember her age, but I think she she was was like, okay, 14. 14. You read the same article. Yeah, so it's kind of, 
funny that you that you're doing this topic because you kind of see that these women are actually starting to defend themselves. Uh, you know. Yes, in a manner of speaking, yes. Um, I, I don't begrudge the the fourteen year old girl for feeling desperate enough to try to escape through murder. I think that's understandable. However, I, I think she dug a little bit of a hole that's, you know, that's uh, it's like jumping from the frying pan into the fire. Um, right. Neither, neither is a good solution. So, you know, people are going to say, well, you know, you're saying that she should stay with an impressive, you know, blah, 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 and all that stuff. No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying that right. her alternatives were so limited, there was nothing right that she could do. And so that she chose a, a course of action is understandable, but it doesn't help her. It didn't right. help her. Um, and I feel, and the real solution for her is to not be in, in that position. I, I, you know, I wish that no 14-year-old girl would be given, to just given, you know, in a air quotes marriage, to uh, a man that obviously uses her as a as a sex slave instead of a, um, a wife, and the solution is to is not to start poisoning men everywhere <laughs> who engage right. in this. The solution is to is to change the world. I'm sorry. I mean, right. if that sounds really weird for people, is to change the world in which she lives in. And that's kind of what the whole enterprise of what um, Ayan Hirsi Ali is trying to say. I mean, in her interview with Megyn Kelly, she had said, this is what I would have said to Brandeis University and to all, them, all the students that are there to be able to appreciate that here in the West, we do not have the type of values that allow female genital mutilation, child brides, right. legal rape. We don't have that. And in fact, the students that happen to be Muslim and female are able to, in the Americas, in Western Europe, advance themselves far beyond what they're allowed to in other countries. They have far more freedoms. They have the rights that are protected by law under a worldview that is not Islamic, not Sharia by nature, and they ought to reflect on how much of that is uh, how much benefit that is to them. And so if you have these benefits for yourself, think about those women who don't have it. And the reason right. they don't have it is because they live un- under a system of law that tells, that informs men, informs that society, that women should not have those things. Not simply right. that they don't have them or they're not available, yeah. but that they shouldn't. I mean, why was the ter- why was the tele- Taliban? Excuse me, the Taliban cutting off women's lips for wearing lipstick? Why were they confiscating shoes? Because they didn't want women to leave the house. Why were women being beaten and thrown in prison and perhaps having a limb removed because they dared to drive a, a car? It's because their law allowed them to do that, and that's how women ought to be treated in under that system of law, in that mentality. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. You know, you, you, 
you hit the nail on the head, you know, Leticia, because as you're sitting there and you're saying that, and, and, and I hear the conviction, just I get angry because I'm going to tell you something. As a man, I'm not a Muslim, but how those men treat women in the Muslim nations in the name of whatever laws they may be following, that assaults me as a man. And quite frankly, it disgusts me. It, 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 it disgusts me. So my only, my only consolation is this. It's a law that no matter how people, they're invincible or whatever, 72 virgins in paradise, bruh, I'm going to tell you something. You will reap what you sow, and karma is a mug. So, hey, you may not think you have to answer for your actions in this life, but I tell you what, you will answer for your actions in the hereafter. So. All right, cool. Uh, we'll be right back after the, the break with our guest. Stay with us. This is True Life Fridays Radio. Hey, I'm having problems with my window. Can you cue the music? <laughs> I've been trying it. It doesn't like. work. Thank you. Excuse yes. our technical difficulties. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. What, what broadcast would you like? Just pick one. Thank you. Okay. Know what? I don't Most think. Most of the time, um, we would see him where the fetus would come completely out, and of course, the fetus would still be alive because he was still moving. And you could see, of course, you could see the stomach breathing, and um, that's when he would do his. Um, he would snip the spine, as they're saying that um, <coughs> this doctor did, and of course, the soft spot was one of the spots that he would um, uh, take the one of the forceps or the what is it called? Um, the dilators and stick it down the soft spot of the fetus's head. When you saw this happen? Oh yes. Every I think every morning I saw several on several occasions. If we had um, if we had twenty something patients, of course maybe ten or twelve or thirteen or fifteen patients would be large procedures. And out of those large procedures, I'm pretty sure I was seeing at least three to four um, fetus that were completely delivered in some way uh, or another. 
And welcome back to Good Life Fridays Radio. I am your host, Letitia Wong. I am on the air live with my co-host, Thomas hey. Smith. Hey, Letitia. Hey. That's right. If you want to call into the show, the number to call in is 760-542-3907. Oh, goodness. We have so much to do. Um, we have a guest on the line right now who has been holding on for a while, and he is kind of in a hurry. So I'll let's get to him. Uh, a couple of few, uh, I don't know, I don't know how many months ago it was. Uh, we had him on before. This is Christian Anzel. He is a student at uh, at uh, the State University of New York. Is that correct? Yes, that is correct. Very good. Oh. And. Uh, really quickly, can you bring us up to speed about what uh, what your visit was last time with us? It's pretty hilarious, mm-hmm. and and what has happened since then? Sure, well, and I I uh, have more time. Uh, I, I got the one I had to, so I appreciate you having me on, Leticia. Thank you so much, and I appreciate all your hard work for the pro life movement. Um, so, bring up everyone to speed. Uh, in short, uh, last April was actually a, a year ago. Um, I went into a classroom um, of a chemistry professor. Again, I'm a history student, history major. And uh, my friends told me about this classroom I should sit in on. And I went to the classroom before class, and the professor allowed me to, to come in and, and be part of it. She was talking about the 80s, evangelicalism, abortion. I said that those, those issues are important to me, and I'd love to sit in. Um, she said, okay. Um, so uh, she... Uh, 20 minutes in, goes on and on how bad Ronald Reagan is, you know, the usual uh, liberal rant on college campuses today. And talked about um, and Ronald Reagan in the same, in the same context? Yes, yes, uh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> she went on and on. Uh, and, I, and she wanted to move on, and she looked around and asked if anyone had any questions. Uh, I raised my hand. She called on me, and I said, you did, you know, you do know, however, that uh, Ronald Reagan won the Cold War. You know, she stuttered for a little bit and, you know, didn't know what to do. And then she said, oh, we'll, we'll touch upon that later. I later found out that she never touched upon it at all. Mm. Uh, but then I wanted to say, so I feel as though we should have an objective uh, way of teaching, uh, a style, um, so we get both points of view, not just one side. And then I continued on to say, just like I, I feel as though you were very one-sided in an editorial that she penned in the student newspaper and how she said that um, my pro-life club, uh, because we showed graphic pictures of what abortion really is, that that was mm-hmm. somehow racist, that we were somehow trying to protect the white woman. And um, she, when I, uh, her and her colleagues, again, who were some of my professors, had the audacity to say that the tactics that me and my pro-life club used uh, were similar to those as those who lynched black people uh, back, back, <laughs> back in, throughout history. I mean, wow. it, it, it doesn't get any more ridiculous and academically dishonest. And, and, I'll, and I do have um, an interesting little piece to that, is I wrote a letter to each of those professors, and one of whom, I, who taught me the Civil War, and who was very educated in that subject, and taught us the abolitionist movement in that specific class. And she taught us that the, the abolitionists back then, uh, you know, had their own newspapers, had their own advocacy like we do in our pro-life movement. And those who believed in slavery um, would burn down, try to silence uh, those who tried to protect uh, black Americans at the time. And uh-huh. I see a 
direct correlation uh, to what we're seeing today throughout America and throughout the universities, what we just saw in Brandeis. You know, the university not upholding the academic freedom that they so um, that they talk about so much. Right. And um, I pointed this hypocrisy out to the, the professor. She had no she had no explanation. You know, um, so it's a complete hypocritical stance by these professors and by universities throughout America. And I wasn't going to take it. I'm still not going to take it. Uh, we have to be able to stand up for what we believe in um, and in a coherent, uh, philosophical and scientifically sound argument for the preborn that they are human beings and deserve human rights like you and I do. Absolutely. And so then they proceeded to, um, well, the, the professor, if I recall correctly, uh, wanted to throw you out of the class. And, but then she also called campus security or, and something <laughs> happened. There and yes, how did yes. you end so, up um, at uh, what, you know, what my husband likes to call these monkey tr- um, these kangaroo courts that happen on university right. campuses? <laughs> exactly. And so I had asked the question twice, and the reason why I asked it the second time was because she started yelling at me. Um, and the second time I tried to pursue with my question, she said, "All right, I'm calling the police um, because there's a type of guidelines that you know you get in trouble for disruption." If, if you ask more than, if you ask a repetitive question and it's making a quote unquote like nuisance, uh, like a disruption in the classroom. So I left. Um, uh, later, a couple of days later, I get an email um, saying, you know, that uh, the police came 30, 30 minutes after the, after the, um, after I'd walked out and she wrote up an entire, you know, police report and it's just absolutely absurd. And um, only she was uh, the one that talked to police, none of the students. Uh, certainly not me with contact, it was just her. Um, and I was uh, then told to go to the student judiciary uh, within the next week. And I did so. And, um, you know, I felt as and I had my whole own hearing, uh, I guess you call it, like hearing officer or hearing representative. And I immediately felt, you know, that once he knew that this was an abortion issue, I, I, I personally feel as though he picked a side. And... Mm-hmm. The reason why I feel that way, Leticia, is because as a punishment, I was given 50 hours of community service, that's 5-0, a letter of apology, and being on a full academic record. And this is for raising my hand, speaking out, and saying, no, I disagree with you, and I feel as though you should be talking in a more objective point of view, especially when it comes to um, hot topics in class. Um, I mean, 50 hours of community service for that. Right. I, I felt was right. very egregious, and I felt as though my hearing officer had a personal stake in this in this thing, and he kind of wanted to get back at me. Um, right. So this happens throughout the summer, Leticia, this, this, this ongoing fight between me and the student judiciary. I saw it as a freedom of speech issue and, and you know, academic freedom. They saw it as a disruption issue. Um, right. Did any other... Into the end of summer. Go ahead. Did go they ahead. Uh, did they interview or did they call any other students to uh, give input? That's a great question, and, and that's a great question. And the the answer is no. Um, I was able to provide <laughs> with people that I knew in the class, people who were there, that said, in fact, I did not discriminate. Or excuse me, I did not disrupt. And, and in fact, that she uh, discriminated against me because of my point of view and because I was bringing a coherent argument against her um, that she just didn't like. She simply did not like what I had to say. Um, I, I did not go in there with the intent to, to quote-unquote, disrupt the classroom. Not at all. 
I went into there to listen and to be a participant, as I always am in my history classes. Um, so anyway, the, the, but those, those, those students were never asked by the judiciary. Um, so we get into summer, Leticia, and um, into early fall, um, and the student judiciary still was sitting on this. You know, I, I threatened to go to a, you know, quote-unquote trial, what I would call mm-hmm. a trial, um, mm-hmm. And I'd go in front of all the justices to, for another shot at this. Um, and they kept, the, the, you know, I wasn't getting any re- email responses from them. And so finally wow. I said, you know, with this un- unprofessional attitude and, and work ethic, I demand another hearing. You know, this is absolutely outrageous. You know, they're sitting on it. I plan to graduate in December. They're sitting on it in hopes to run the clock up. That's what I felt. Um, so finally I get a new hearing with a new hearing rep with the top guy. And he was terrific. He was he was great. He was very objective. He saw that I had a lot of passion in this art, in this in this issue, and just academic freedom in general. And he gave me a lot fairer um, uh, results. I had to do 15 hours of community service. I still wasn't happy about that, but one five compared to five oh, I'll take the one five. Right, right. And there right. was no letter of apology. He said to my face, you know. I know you wouldn't have meant it anyway, which I don't. I don't apologize for what I did. I don't apologize for standing up for academic freedom, freedom of speech, and for an objective point of view when teaching. Um, and, and so he, he, he gave me a lighter sentence. And so I had to find a community service place, to, you know, a place to do community service. And so right. then I went to the community service person. And I said, could I volunteer, do my 15 hours of community service at a pregnancy center? a center that is committed to helping women um, and their children. And it, it no, cannot be done. Um, go figure. I, I think at, that, at a liberal that uh, university that, that many uh, spouses, what yeah. I believe is, is the liberal indoctrination and, and pro-abortion stance. So um, then I had, so I was what, given a list of, the, of places to go. Go ahead. Okay, so I, right there, you asked because you had to do 15 hours of community service. You asked to do it at a, at a pregnancy center, and they said no. <laughs> correct, correct. And um, uh, I, now I wanted to know why, okay, did anybody explain to you why that wasn't a valuable choice? You know, I, I'm sure she did, but it was not a good answer. Um, I don't remember the specifics of what the girl had said to me, but it was something of the sort like, oh, we don't usually do that here. We usually give you some choices and that's it. Um, and, again, working with some of the individuals in a university setting is just like hitting your head against the wall. It's, just, it's not going to go anywhere because they're so dogmatic, they're so closed-minded um, that there's really no wiggle room for any other common-sense thought. You know, this is something I want to do. I want to give back uh, to, to a cause that I feel passionate about. It's helping people in the process. But no, the door was slammed shut, and you mm-hmm. have to help out the university. And so they gave me a piece of paper that had all the university um, community service options, which, in okay. fact, helped out the university. And, and right. I was not, you know, coming from where I came from, I really didn't want to help out the university. I felt like I just got a slap in the face from my university. So that... These places were the last places I wanted to help. And what did you end up doing? So I, I there was one place uh, that really caught my eye. It's called the Chabad House, uh, a, a, a house that um, is used for worship uh, in the, in the, for the Jew, Jewish uh, Jewish faith, and uh, more Orthodox, very conservative. And so I okay. felt that their point of views. Would, would, would align with mine, 
um, in terms, especially in terms of abortion and protecting the preborn and helping women out. Um, and, and, and so I chose to do, put my 15 hours there. I, uh, every Friday night, they would um, open their doors for fellow Jewish students, but also non-Jewish students for a, for a free dinner, a very good dinner, and I helped out that way uh, because it's their Sabbath and, and, you know, they're not supposed to work. So I wanted to help them and serve them. Uh, but I'll tell you, it's very ironic uh, experience. Couple, uh, a couple weeks before this whole incident happened with Keisha, my co-life group brought the Genocide Awareness Project to the university. Okay, okay. The next the day Holocaust, with the Holocaust 60, 70 years ago, and, and right. there's a World War II, um, and connects the humanoid issue and whatnot. There were a lot of liberal Jews on campus that were very upset with me for doing that. I mean, they took it very personally, and I can, I can, I can see where they're coming from, even though I do not agree. I can see where they're coming from. They had relatives that survived Holocaust, and they don't sure. see the preborn. As, as human beings, and so therefore right. they were saying, how could you, how could you compare a compass house to, 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 to what my, my, what my relatives went through? And I understood right. what they're saying, and I said, I, I agree with the fact that it's so wrong for this to happen, but we have to recognize that they're human beings, that the pre-born are human beings, and they went through, uh, they went through actions that took away their right to life, just like your relatives did, and so when I went to this community service about a month later and, and throughout the next semester, there would be individuals that remembered me and they'd come up to me and they, they'd either say very nasty things. At first, they, some of them made, made me feel very uncomfortable. But mm-hmm. I still stayed. And I, I, over the weeks, they, they were more trustful of me. They, they saw that I really wanted to help them and their organization out. And I was able to dialogue with them about the case for the human rights life for the preborn, the case against the continual slaughter of, of, of innocent human beings, and to be able to tell them, look, I feel your pain in terms of understanding what your relatives went through and, and knowing the facts about that. But here's a whole other genocide and Holocaust that we're just ignoring. And some of them, they may not have all turned to be pro-life, but they certainly um, uh, w- w- saw my point of view. It wasn't just from a religious context. It wasn't just, oh, we hate women. You know, it was, wow, he actually has a scientific, coherent argument for why the preborn are human. And they listened, and some were becoming to be more pro-life, although not 100% pro-life, but they said, hmm, you know what, actually now I'm against all abortions after 20 weeks. Hmm, I didn't know that the heartbeat starts at day 18. All these things, it was just a, truly a blessing to be able to be there and to kind of evangelize, so to speak, for the pro-life movement to individuals who really did not like me a few months back. Wow, that is an incredible, incredible story. So you were able to move the bar a little bit uh, because of everything that transpired. And I think that, you know, I, th- I really do think that the hand of God was in all of that. Um, you know, you may, you know, you know we're kind of always a, looking yeah, at the I, end, but, you know, you were, a proce- yeah, you were kind of part of this process. Yeah, yeah and, um, you know, I, was, I remember sitting at some of the tables uh, throughout the week, and, and, again, people would ask me, you know, are you Jewish? I'd say, no. Oh, why are you here? Oh, I'm here for community service. And then they keep prodding all the meanwhile, the rabbis, again, who are very conservative, Orthodox, ultra-Orthodox uh, Jews, um, mm-hmm. would smile because they knew it was coming. You know, and, and, and um, it, was just, it was just so ironic how it all happened. And I was able to share my story, share my testimony of, of why I'm pro-life and, and what happened to, for me to have to be able to do community service. And then 
dialogue and a, and a debate. Some got testy. Some said, hey, you know what? I got to hand it to you. you. You present the facts in a coherent manner and a respectful manner. We may walk away still having a difference of opinion, but I can respect you more now than prior when I saw images of my ancestors being slaughtered, you know, during school and whatnot. Wow, that is that is just that is that makes my day because I have been looking for uh, the silver lining to your story because um, my husband corrected me. It's not a kangaroo court; it was a Mickey Mouse court. <laughs> he says <laughs> that that a lot of times conservative pro-life students are run through for 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 most of the time trumped up reasons. And your certainly your case certainly fits the bill. And but I am. You know, I'm really thankful that you were able to get the message through, even through this ridiculous process that you had to go through, you know, stemming from mm-hmm. people that were just really wanting to to get you, <laughs> uh, yeah. make you suffer for the, for your beliefs, make you suffer for mm-hmm. your beliefs. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's what it is. Um, so tell us a little bit, so... So that happened, and that closed, and now you are involved in so much more. Uh, what, where's, what's the story there? Yeah, so um, are you referencing the other losses? Yes, and how, you how did you yeah. that? I'm not asking you to uh, divulge too much information, but yeah. where are you? how'd you get there? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you know, again, it really started from this one week uh, where we brought Genocide Awareness Project to campus. And it just shows the students, it shows the university community what abortion is and how it is a human rights um, violation. And that was, that's what started this entire controversy. And the students couldn't stomach it. They couldn't tolerate it. They're very close-minded. And so what they did, Leticia, is they brought out on the second day of this presentation, they brought out their shower curtains, bed sheets, and their umbrellas to cover mm-hmm. up the injustice that is abortion. Um, and they would say, you know, it's hate, it, the usual liberal dogma. It's hate speech. It's offensive. Uh, it makes me uncomfortable. But just as we, you were talking about in your previous session, the university environment is supposed to challenge people's ideas. Today we've lost that. We've lost the traditional right. university, which is to challenge people and what they believe in. And so what they did to shut me up in our club is they tried to hide it. They tried to mask it. They would say, that's not abortion, that's a miscarriage. You'd, you'd see signs that said, don't like abortion, don't have one. So I went up to those individuals and I said, you know, it's sad that you're using the apologetics of those who believed in slavery. Don't like slavery, don't get enslaved. And so they were so heated up about that, I took the argument to them that they had to cover up the images, they had to pass out sheets with my name on it that said Christian Angel, intolerant, indecent, and ignorant, to frame me and make me part of the debate when really it's about the pre-born and the uh, unjust that is abortion. Mm. And so anyway, they, we, we filed a lawsuit against the university because we believe that the police did not... Uh, protect our freedom of speech. They allowed for them to take away our freedom of speech. I have no problem with protest. Okay. Oh, I love it. I say bring it on. But what I do have a problem is people taking away my freedom to express myself. So that was the first one. And then the second one, um, we we two days later after the GAP presentation, we had a debate, and um, the school saw it as controversial, and so they they uh, made sure that we had uh, we had to pay an exorbitant amount 
um, for for security. And mm. the amount they charged us was more than we received from the school in annual funding. So it's, it, it made us um, pretty much unable to uh, put on this debate, which uh, disabled us from freely expressing ourselves. Um, so that's, that's, all, that's also in the courts. When we looked to get our money back, we looked to have a new policy. And look, a lot of students came out against us, against us for, for having mm-hmm. these things, for, 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 for uh, acting on our, our freedoms. But I will continue to say, once it's all wrapped up, Letitia, once, once you see the press releases and once you see the, the finalizations of the courts, UB Students for Life, the pro-life club that I officially established, we will have I've gotten more freedoms for students than they realize. You know, so they can come out and, and attack us for being pro-life. Oh, absolutely. But we, at the end of the day, we will have expanded freedom for them. Wow. And um, like I said, I'm not going to ask you to divulge any information, but, you know, I I can definitely see how this is the one domino that has is leading to, I think, a really a real breakthrough on a university campus, you know, in New York, of all places. I mean, when we think of New York, we think of it as a, a bastion of liberalism with such the walls of closed mindedness are eight inches thick and um, Uh they're 30 feet high, but you are working something that has been, um, I think, unprecedented. You deserve it. You deserve your free speech to be protected. You deserve everything that you're fighting for. Um, But I don't think that, I don't think that anybody has realized before that they could fight for it or that they should. I completely agree with you. And, and, you know, when we talk about recruiting at campus uh, for conservative or, you know, pro-life or, you know, something that's not well known on the university, we have to realize there are, there are conservatives at the university. They just don't have a leader. You know, I'll never forget when I was doing a summer orientation. I was screaming. I was yelling. I was getting people pumped up because I'm passionate about the issue. And we got 75 new freshmen signed up for our club for that day. And it's because they saw someone – who is passionate about the issue can lead and and can really make a difference. And I think that's what we need on campus because there's people out there that will follow us. There really will be. Um, you know, what we did with, with Genocide Awareness Project, we led because we showed them the images. We then came out with a coherent argument for why they deserve human rights and and how we connected today's Holocaust abortion to the genocides throughout history, whether it was the, the Jewish Holocaust, whether it was the the, the lynchings in the South during, uh, you know, post-Reconstruction and, and after. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and um, we had African-American students come up to us and say, thank you, thank you for acknowledging the horror that my ancestors had to go through and that now black babies have to go through in the womb. You know, right. and so that's, you have to take a stand on campus. You have to know what you're talking about, and you, can, you have to have a coherent argument because as, as people who believe in freedom – we let the marketplace decide who wins and who loses. And if we can have a level playing field of, 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 of freedoms, then our arguments will win because we have the better arguments. We have the better uh, facts. We have the facts on our side. And, and that's what we have to keep on ahead. And that's what I'm going to keep doing throughout my life is just continue to move forward to make the argument to win people over because we're saving lives. Well, Christian, I really thank God for what you're doing because I think you're making a great impact. 
I really do think that this is going to be a ripple effect because your situation is not the the isolated incident. I mean, I, I have heard from at least four or five other chapter presidents of Students for Life groups on various universities throughout the country just in the last two weeks. And they're, un, they're undergoing a lot of pressure. You know, every campus does. You know, that's just to be mm-hmm. expected. But I think mm-hmm. that... What, how you have kind of, you're going through the gauntlet, I think is setting mm-hmm. a really great example and telling others, this is what you can probably expect to, to see <laughs> for yourself, mm-hmm. but there mm-hmm. is a light on the other end of this tunnel, and it's going to be a lot better having gone through that uh, than trying to avoid that and uh, don't be scared of the controversy that's coming. Exactly. We're winning. We're winning, Leticia. And, and, and you know we're winning when we see we had a professor come and hit my vice president a couple weeks ago. We saw a professor who, um, you know, researches pornography and, and all this other loot mm. stuff. She, she, she went after the, the two pro-life girls on campus. Oh, and yes, so we know, about, right. we know we're winning when supposed to be mature adults who teach at, and profess at a university are coming out and becoming violent because they, they have to run away from the truth. The truth scares them. The images are real, and they can't hide behind the war on women. They can't hide behind all this other, you know, junk rhetoric uh, because pictures are the truth. You know, these things are real, and we're winning on campuses all over, and we're going to continue to see um, uh, professors, the left, uh, demonize their opponents because they can't win on the, on, the, on, the, on the real substance of the issue. And we're going to keep winning. I'm, I'm convinced of it. And we're, gonna, we're really going to save human beings, and we're going to continue to uh, make a difference on campus. Well, Christian, I want to thank you for coming on to the program for True Life Fridays Radio and delivering your story. Um, this is exclusive, folks, for True Life Fridays Radio because um, this is just – this is brand new information. This is um, this is really cutting edge. And if you want to know what what is really going on, you need to listen to this broadcast and all others after it. I want to thank Christian again for coming on this program. I you're going to be on again. I think I'm going to make you <laughs> excited. You're going to come on on a regular basis. <laughs> we'll work with you. I really that, appreciate but that. I I think we really need your voice um, broadcasting with us. And uh, I think you're just going to be a very, very important addition to the overall dialogue. And I do believe you. We are going to win this uh, overall. We already have won. The other side just doesn't realize it yet. So thank you. I know you have to run. And uh, we had to bump you up to an earlier slot. Thank you for coming on. Uh, We'll see you again. Thank you so much, Leticia. God bless. Thank you.
And welcome back to True Life Fridays Radio here on the True Radio Network. Oh, my goodness. Let's see. What do we have on the docket here? We've got plenty of things to talk about. Um, I want to give out a shout-out to my favorite place to live for the weekend right now, right here. <laughs> and that is St. Louis, Missouri. Guess what we get to do this weekend? We get to have – we get to be hosts of the American Ninja Warrior – show on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, I believe, and it's going to be awesome because this is probably one of my most favorite shows on television. It certainly is one of my kids' favorite shows. In fact, my son uh, was watching it uh, from the time he could crawl, and one of his first words ever (laughs) he spoke besides mama was watching American Ninja Warrior and watching a guy finish the first round and it surprised the heck out of me when he said he got through and I'm like whoa so yeah I like the show love the obstacle course love the fact that it's in St. Louis so glad it's here um so just want to give a give that a shout out it's fun and we have yes Thomas May I have, may I do the honors of introducing these two gentlemen? You may. Well, I am excited because, um, as you all know, Pro Life, well, True Life Fridays, originally known as Pro Life Fridays Radio, we we were blessed to be able to play a little part in this next story. And we are thankful to people like our two guests who for many years have put their money where their mouth is when it comes to the issue of life. As we have always said here at True Life Fridays Radio, when it comes to the issue of life, For us, it doesn't stop at abortion. We we are completely and unequivocally 100% pro-life. And so, therefore, we are excited to have Walter Hoy and Dr. Paul Byrne back with an update on little Jahai McMath. Dr. Byrne and Walter... Welcome back to the show. Thank you guys for calling back in. Thank you very much for allowing us to be on the program. You're very welcome. Um, Dr. Byrne, let's jump right to it because I received an email from Walter like last week sometime, and um, he basically said you have some exciting updates on Jahai's condition, please let us, please share with us. Well, Jahai, as uh, some of you might recall, had an operation for uh, have her tonsils and adenoids removed, uh, and that was on December the 9th of last year. And already on December the 12th, they pronounced uh, Jahai brain dead. And 
and her, her mother uh, said no to giving to high's organs. And so the hospital in uh, Oakland, Oakland Children's Hospital, said, well, under those circumstances, uh, uh, we're going to turn off the ventilator. And uh, and uh, Jahai's mother said, "Oh no, my Jahai is, is living. My Jahai is alive." And that got it into court. And uh, uh, eventually, uh, they uh, uh, they issued a death certificate on uh, Jahai, uh, uh, December the twelfth, two thousand and thirteen. She had a death certificate issued, uh, in spite of the fact that her heart was beating she had blood pressure she had respiration uh uh they did not give her any food for 17 days jahai was starved for 17 days and no food uh and and uh her heart continued to beat she continued to live and at that point uh even though she had the death certificate issued in fact the matter is that's the only way we can get her out of oakland children's hospital is if they uh issued a death certificate and actually they recorded it at the vital statistics that she was dead uh jahai got transferred uh out uh uh subsequently jahai got a uh, feeding tube put in and uh, tracheostomy to make it easier to take care of her. And uh, Jahai continues to live. Her heart beats uh, on its own uh, without any kind of uh, support to make it beat. Her heart beats 100,000 times a day. Uh, since she's been, de- been declared brain dead, her heart has beat more than 9 million times uh, all by itself. Uh, uh, the the ventilator works, but only works because Jahai is alive. Uh, 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 Jahai gets nutrition. Uh, She digests and absorbs her food. She uh, gets rid of waste products, just like everybody else gets rid of waste products. Uh, 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 Last time I saw her, when the Blood pressure cuff pumped up on her arm. She moved her arm trying to get away from it. It's uncomfortable, as everybody knows, it has blood pressure taken. She moved her whole body trying to get away from it. Uh, uh, Jahai is very much alive. Uh, She still has that death certificate hanging over her. It's a very serious matter um, because, at least as I understand it, at that point, uh, the uh, Medi-Cal or whatever the health insurance is called in California stopped paying for her. So the, uh, the family has this burden of, uh, of uh, hospital bills uh, hanging over their head, and uh, it seems like nobody wants to do anything about it because they say Jahai is dead. Well, Jahai is not dead. She's very much alive, and... Uh, uh, I ha- haven't been able to talk to uh, Jahai's mother today, and that always concerns me when I can't uh, uh, talk to her uh, because it's a uh, it's a tremendous burden on uh, uh, on Jahai's mother. Uh, Jahai, when uh, she was at Oakland Children's Hospital, they wouldn't even call Jahai by name. Uh, they uh, uh, they referred to her as a dead body. 
I mean, it was so awful for the mother, and it's still awful for her, because uh, 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 she knows uh, what's going on, and she has all, all of these concerns for the uh, health, for the life of her daughter, plus all of the other things that happen as, uh, uh, as a sequence of that uh, uh, death certificate. Uh, you know, the, the, uh, uh, and while we're talking about Jahai, what's happened to Jahai happens to many people every day because the laws are set up so that uh, if your brain doesn't send a signal down to make you take a breath, that is that you can't take a breath in, uh, that ultimately becomes, uh, and you're, if you're unconscious, the combination of unconscious and not being able to take a breath uh, is the thing that makes them decide that you're brain dead. Uh, and, and, of course, what ha- happens so many times is that they cut out the beating heart and the other vital organs, and then, of course, the person is really dead uh, uh, and truly dead at that point. Uh, so th- this is going on. The general public is not informed as to uh, uh, what uh, these things mean. Uh, they, uh, uh, the, so far as the words uh, of brain death are c- concerned, uh, the first set of brain death criteria was published in 1968. And between 1968 and 1978, there were 30 different sets of criteria published and there's many more since that time and a person can be declared brain dead by one set but be very much alive by the other sets and and of course it's the action that's taken after the declaration of brain death that makes someone get dead that is when they cut out the beating heart they always become dead and they're always alive before they cut out the beating heart and and uh, uh, these things are going on. You're you're kept from hearing these things unless uh, uh, unless there's a program like this that uh, uh, that uh, Walter was uh, very helpful in getting this arranged, and and you're helpful at uh, letting us uh, be on your program, and we can share it with the people, and the people hear this. But uh, what's going on is that when you look at the billboards, when you watch the television, when you listen to the radio, when you read the newspaper, they tell you all the things about why you should be an organ donor. Uh, And, of course, they don't tell you that to be an organ donor, you must be alive. Every organ that's uh, taken for transplant is a healthy organ. It comes from a living person. And after the organ is taken, that living person is either dead or weaker every time. You're kept from hearing any of this stuff. The the law in California, uh, just like the law is in uh, uh, at least 47 states, uh, uh, that, that it's presumed that everyone intends to be an organ donor. It's presumed that everyone has consented to have everything done to them. Uh, uh, to get their organs, and uh, uh, and of course, in Jahai's case, the hospital was involved with uh, something happening as a complication of surgery, right. and then uh, Jahai's mother dearly loved her, and so that made it so that the case became public, and people heard about it 
but it's going on all the time without anybody ever hearing about it. And uh, every day, not only in California, but throughout the, the country, uh, there uh, are these things going on. And it's a very serious matter. And, and uh, uh, you're uh, listing people have to uh, hear about these things. They have to know about them and uh, know that everyone that has this declaration of brain death is alive. Uh, right. uh, if if they were truly dead, they would just say they were dead. Uh, but they're all very much alive. And, yes, you, uh, Dr. Byrne, this is Letitia Wong. I, I wanted to, uh, in fact, bring up another story. I know that we're talking about Jahai and the improvements in her in her condition, but you're right when you say that this is happening frequently because just – uh, today I read a story that was published last week about a, a man that was in Sweden, that was hospitalized in Sweden, that had been, um, who could hear the doctors. They thought he was unconscious and unable to hear. Uh, they thought he was going to die, and they started discussing plans to transplant his organs. And he could hear them, and he could understand them. He said he could, he had control over his eyes, and he could hear uh, but he was otherwise incapacitated. And the the scary thing is if if nothing was done to to help him, um they would have taken his organs um while he was conscious and but unable to say anything about it. Right. See and and of course when that comes out uh, in terms of thinking about a man hearing about uh, 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 being declared brain dead and taking his organs, and we get concerned because uh, he hears, can't respond. But the real thing that's there is uh, is this uh, calling people dead while they're alive and then calling them dead while they're alive so they can get their organs for somebody else. I mean, uh, you know, I, I uh, when I was a young doctor, uh, we learned about uh, pronouncing people dead, and and uh, we were taught how to be sure that you didn't declare somebody dead before they were truly dead, and we were taught how to be very cautious and that kind of thing. But it has changed now. Now they want to declare them, uh, as they call it, brain dead. They want to call it, declare them brain dead while they're still alive so they can get the organs. And now, uh, in many ways, in many places, they don't even wait for brain death. They, they have people that are uh, unconscious, but they have a functioning brain, but they want their organs, and then they call that heart death. They turn off the ventilator and wait till they're without a pulse, uh, and and uh, not till without a heartbeat, just until the heartbeat is not beating strong enough to cause a pulse, and and then uh, that that can be for a few minutes or as short a time as 75 seconds, as was reported in the New England Journal of Medicine a couple of years ago. Two babies in Colorado, they uh, uh, turned off the ventilator waited till they were without a pulse for 75 seconds and then that was the signal to cut the beating hearts out of those babies and transplant them into somebody else oh, my. Uh, uh, th- these kinds of things are going on and 
And uh, yes, I'm a doctor, and I'm uh, very proud of much of medicine. You know, there are many things that doctors can do now that couldn't be done when I uh, uh, was a much younger doctor. And medicine's very exciting, but we have this other thing called organ transplantation, which is a multi-billion-dollar industry that's completely dependent on getting healthy organs for their industry. And where do you get healthy organs? You get them from living persons. Can you get any healthy organs from a cadaver? No. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, and uh, anybody who even uh, thinks a little bit about it and uh, in terms of the difference between life and death and their uh, own experiences in their own life, whatever that is, either with people or with pets or, or, or caterpillars or or birds or whatever it is, there's a clear difference between being alive and dead, and uh, a person cannot be both alive and dead at the same time, either alive or dead. Well, uh, legally, uh, uh, since Jahai has a death certificate, uh, uh, they call her dead, but she's very much alive. Uh, 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 she responds, she moves, she digest her food, her heart beats, she's got uh, blood pressure, her lungs work very well, she's on a ventilator, but uh, she doesn't have any uh, any extra oxygen, she just uses the oxygen from the air, just like all the rest of us do, and and uh, they have this uh, thing of uh, a fiction of brain death, which is really there to uh, get organs, and if Jahai's mother would have just said, yes, take her organs, uh, we never would have heard anything more about it, except we would have found out where Jahai's heart was in that person, her liver was in that person, one kidney here and one kidney there, and all we'd have heard about is all the ways that her organs were divided up. Because her mother said no to that, then they said, all right, we're going to turn off the ventilator, though. And and because uh, of of God... Uh, saying yes to Jahai's life, and because of Jahai's mother saying, I love my Jahai, no, I won't let you do anything to uh, shorten her life. I want you to treat her. Uh, and then, uh, yes, uh, Walter and I and uh, a number of other people uh, got involved, and we were able to uh, give support to Jahai and to her mother. And so Jahai's uh, very much alive. She's uh, uh, how long Jahai will live, I don't know, uh, but I don't know how long uh, uh, Walter's going to live or I'm going to live or Letitia's going to live. I don't know, or anybody out there listening, I don't know. All I know is that our life is a gift, and we should protect and preserve that life until true death. And e even if it seems like somebody uh, might not be going to live uh, uh, very much longer, uh, as a society, we ought not be doing things to shorten their life, even if it seems like somebody else wants their organs. No, they're not entitled to the organs. Uh, and uh, Jahai has her own organs. Uh, that God designed them and gave them to her, and they're for her, and they're not for anyone else. Uh, and and uh, 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 God picked out Jahai's mother for Jahai, and Jahai's mother is being a true mother. She's standing up for her daughter, and she's uh, protecting and preserving her daughter's life. 
and and uh, uh, yes, uh, Walter does what he can to help with that, and I do, and and uh, we do that, and we're supposed to because Jahai's mother can't do it by herself, uh, and uh, it's not an easy time. So I encourage everybody to pray, to pray a lot, pray for Jahai, pray pray for her mother, her relatives. It's it's not an easy time to. Uh, to stand up against the medical profession and the legal profession, and and uh, uh, I say it's not easy, uh, but I can tell you the alternative would be would be worse because uh, it would uh, uh, what Jahai's mother's doing is what she should do as a mother. I say she should do. Uh, we uh, praise her and praise God for that. Uh, uh, Naila is doing what she should do to stand up for the life of Jahai, but it's not easy because so many people around look at uh, Jahai and, and say that she's dead, and she's not dead at all. So anyway, it's a, a, a tough uh, a time. It's not easy uh, for Jahai and for her mother. Wow. I have a question, Dr. Byrne, because you actually, you actually kind of answered my question but I wanna I wanna ask it specifically so that everybody could understand. You know how in Hollywood movies when, you know, in their sappy movies they have, you know, a person dies in a car crash so they so they take the organs after the person is dead. But basically what you just said is that once a body is dead, you can't remove an, uh, organs from a dead body once the body is dead. So are you saying to us that in a lot of cases they are declaring people dead who aren't really dead for the sole purpose of harvesting their organs? Of course. Of course, that's what it is. Yes, when somebody, you know, you mentioned an automobile accident, when uh, when the accident is of such uh, 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 degree that the person is dead at the scene, those organs are uh, cannot be transplanted. Uh, there's no organs you can get from those people. Uh, 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 what the to get the organs, the donor must be alive. That that uh, uh, and when I uh, teach about this, I I show them the uh, the beginning of a transplant from somebody who's been declared brain dead, and they uh, make the uh, incision from uh, up by the neck all the way down to the pubis, and when they open up and get in there, I show them the beating heart. Everybody sees the beating heart, and that beating heart uh, uh, with the circulation is essential to get the uh, the he- healthy liver and the healthy kidneys and healthy intestine, and all of those uh, uh, come out. And then a- after that, then the last thing is to get the to stop the heart and take the heart out. Uh, and and uh, uh, and so yes, I know it must be shocking to hear this for the first time, uh, if it is the first time. Uh, uh, on the other hand, I think that people pretty much uh, can think their way through it. They uh, they uh, 
quickly answer the question at the license bureau. Uh, do you wish to have it displayed on your driver's license that you want to be an organ donor? And they quickly say yes to that, uh, uh, but they don't realize that uh, to be that organ donor, they have to be alive. Uh, they, they can't be truly dead. And then uh, the rest of that story is that if they say no to that, that does not get recorded anyplace. Uh, and, and then they can still get your organs, even if you say no, because it doesn't get recorded. Uh, uh, the uh, law is such that, that uh, you can uh, uh, declare that you don't want to be an organ donor, but the law gives you no way. Uh, we have an organization called uh, Life Guardian Foundation, and you can get to us at www.lifeguardianfoundation.org. And if you get in touch with us, uh, we will uh, uh, send you a card. Uh, some people have called it an opt-out card, but really what it is is the directions to protect and preserve your life. It says if you're unconscious, you want to get treated. Uh, uh, you yourself want to get treated, not your organs. Uh, and so what happens is that if the person has a head injury, what happens now is a person has a head injury and they're unconscious, then that starts things uh, right away, even at the, at the scene of the accident. They uh, uh, sometimes will call the organ procurement organization uh, uh, to start the balls rolling to get the organs. Uh, and, um, uh, and yes, to answer your question, uh, if uh, there's an accident, uh, if they're if they're dead, no organs. If they are alive and unconscious and on a ventilator, then uh, uh, if they have uh, organs suitable for transplantation, and the ones that they want the organs from are primarily the people that are 16 to 40, because they have healthy organs. They want healthy organs, uh, and uh, uh, to give them to. Uh, other people and uh, and so so I I know that it must be difficult for people to hear these things for the first time uh, but on the other hand uh, uh, it's important that they hear them it's important because why to protect and preserve their own life to protect their children's life their grandchildren's lives their neighbor's life uh, and and uh, uh, and uh, what's going on now with the multi-billion dollar organ transplant uh, business to have that business they must get your healthy organs and and uh, and they're out there looking for them uh, I uh, got an email from a person uh, uh, yesterday who uh, uh, had investigated a, a, a hospital. They happened to be in Colorado uh, as to why did that one hospital uh, have uh, so many people that they took organs from, and it, mm. uh, and it was uh, just kind of a, a middle kind of trauma center. Uh, not uh, the highest trauma center, uh, but yet they were getting organs from many people at that that center. Uh, I don't know the answer to that uh, as to uh, how how come there's a cluster uh, at that particular place. Uh, uh, is, is there uh, more of a hurry there? Does it move along faster? 
the so far as organ transplantation is concerned and the taking of organs, they uh, they do not give them any anesthetic when they take the organs. Uh, no anesthetic, uh, and they they paralyze them though uh, in the uh, uh, British uh, Broadcasting uh, Corporation documentary, Are the Donors Really Dead? They asked one of the doctors from uh, from England, well, why do you paralyze them? And in his uh, English uh, brogue, he said, well, because the people in the operating room get uncomfortable when there's moving and squirming. Uh, so they're paralyzed, so there's no response in terms of movement, but Every time they cut on them, the heart rate goes up and the blood pressure goes up. And that's uh, uh, very similar to the response that the anesthesiologist sees during surgery. If the anesthetic starts to get a little light, uh, the heart rate will go up, the blood pressure will go up, and he knows he has to increase the medication to take away the pain. And and uh, uh, the, um, the organ transplantation is is um, a very serious matter, and brain death is a serious matter. What happened to Jahai is a serious matter. In fact, the matter is, uh, uh, Jahai, uh, um, after she had that declaration of brain death, they, she didn't have any nutrition, no nutrition. For 17 days, she was starved. I mean, it's absolutely awful. You see, and, and uh, what should happen if the desire is not to get organs is that you uh, at least treat her provide her with some nutrition uh, 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 not just some uh, uh, sugar water uh, but some protein and some fat and mm -hmm. some vitamins if, if you want her to heal uh, uh, that's what you do but that isn't what they wanted they wanted to get it over with first to get her organs and if you don't say yes to that then get her so that uh, uh, she's dead and buried and gone and you don't have to think about her anymore, uh, that kind of thing. And I don't, don't want to sound cold about that, but that's what would have happened if it uh, wouldn't have been for uh, Jahai's mother and, and uh, uh, the attorney who stepped up and then uh, uh, Walter and, and, uh, and myself, and uh, we did what we could to... Um, protect and preserve the life of Jahai. And yes, she's still very much alive. I don't know uh, 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 how long uh, uh, Jahai uh, will live, but I don't know how long any of us will live. But I can tell you that Jahai is in much better shape now than she was when she uh, left Oakland Children's Hospital. Uh, right. And she started to get much better once she started to get some uh, nutrition and vitamins and other things that she needed. I, I heard a, several weeks ago, I heard a rumor, and I, can't, I couldn't confirm it, so I didn't say anything, and, and I, I never want to pass on a rumor, but I want to ask you whether it's not true or not that Jahai responds, she has a physical response to touch, and that she's showing signs where she could possibly um, become conscious again. Well, uh, th those are kind of like two different questions. Okay. But of, of course, uh, Jahai responds to touch. I already described how she right. responds to just getting her uh, uh, blood pressure taken. Uh, and then so far as consciousness is concerned, uh, uh, there are things going on in Jahai that make it 
very concerned that uh, uh, that Jahai uh, I might even hear people uh, uh, talking about her uh, uh, being brain dead, and I don't know that for sure. Because, um, uh, but I we get very concerned uh, mm-hmm. because of uh, different things that are going on at Jahai, and and um, uh, so far as being conscious is concerned. Uh, uh, there are many tests and many people uh, that have uh, gone on in recent times to show that people who were thought to be unconscious uh, really are not completely unconscious, and they still receive things. And you see, and in in uh, uh, so far as the brain is concerned, we talk about. Uh, reception of impulses and then we talk about response uh, from the stimuli and the only time you can tell that somebody receives the stimulus the uh, the impulse is if they respond but if they can't respond that doesn't mean they don't receive it just right. means you don't see a response and so the the, the uh, kind thing to do uh, with somebody who is uh, unconscious is to continue to treat them and don't uh, uh, talk about negative things around them, but uh, uh, tell them how much you love them and how much you want them to get better. And and uh, and if they can hear, then that encourages them. And and uh, uh, so uh, and it it's been. It's been four months since Jahai was declared uh, uh, brain dead. Four months. Her heart has beat nine million times since that mm-hmm. time, all on its own. And see, the, the beating in the heart doesn't need a brain, and I'm not saying that Jahai's brain's not working at all. What I'm saying is that the beating of the heart is intrinsic to the heart. A lot of people think that, that uh, you need the brain for the heart to beat, but it's not so. Uh, the beating of the heart is uh, uh, is intrinsic to the heart. Uh, the, the heart uh, is not like a muscle, like a muscle on our arm uh, uh, or a muscle on our leg. We can see those muscles, but the heart is a different kind of muscle. It has its own nervous system. Every muscle uh, fiber has a nerve that attaches to it and the the heart has a heartbeat center that makes the heart beat and then it has sensors that turns off the heart so the heart stops and and relaxes until it fills again and then beats again and all of this beating of the heart is intrinsic to the heart uh and and jahai has that working very well uh and uh uh and and of course the only way that somebody on a ventilator, the only way the ventilator works is that the ventilator that we use to help uh, patients, uh, incidentally, it's uh, mislabeled a respirator sometime. It's the same piece of equipment, but it's just a ventilator. And by ventilation, just means, means to move air. Well, the ventilator on Chahai and on every person on a ventilator uh, the air just moves in, and then uh, the pressure is uh, turned off by the machine, and then it's the elastic properties of the healthy chest wall and the healthy lungs that pushes the air out. 
And the only reason that the ventilator works in Jahai or in anybody is because they are uh, alive, uh, they have healthy lungs, they have a healthy heart and circulation. They're very much alive, and much of the rest of their uh, body is alive, too. And certainly uh, undertakers know the difference between live, uh, uh, live bodies and dead bodies, uh, and there's clearly a difference, and, and, uh, and, and uh, most everybody knows about it. They've had some experience sometime in their life, either with their, their pet or the, uh, the dead bird that they find or, uh, or the uh, fish that they catch and then is not uh, moving anymore and then starts to stink. Uh, uh, there's a difference between life and death, and uh, uh, Jahai is very much alive. There's they at Oakland Children's Hospital. They talked about how um, her, her intestine was going bad, and they talked about how her heart was going to stop. Well, her heart has beat nine million times, and it hasn't stopped. So uh, I just wonder when will. Oakland Children's Hospital back off and say, hey, we did a disservice to this young lady. Uh, that would at least let, uh, let uh, health care be paid for uh, uh, for her uh, and other things that she needs. But, uh, but of course, uh, these things, in some ways, uh, should we even really talk about them because uh, about that part of it? Uh, laws are such that uh, are they there? to help Jahai? Are they there to help her family? Who are the laws there for? The laws for organ transplants are for the ones who receive the organs, not to protect the ones that they take the organs from. And, right. And uh, go ahead. No, I have, I have a question, um, and it's just kind of to really put um, everything into perspective and Walter, if you can um, actually answer this question, because this is a life issue. So why do you think that the pro-life movement as a whole did not embrace this case? Walter, because that's one of the things, you and I kind of talked about it a little bit, but it still rubs me the wrong way because pro-life, the pro-life movement talks about, yeah, we're 100% pro-life, but I guess the caveat that they should ask, if you 100, you should say you're 100% pro-life when it comes to the issue of abortion, because on another issue of life, you were relatively silent, except for individuals like you, Dr. Byrne, and a few others. Walter, what do you, what, what, could you respond to that? Uh, yeah, Thomas, and that's a, a really good question. To be pro-life uh, means just that, life, L-I-F-E, in, in all aspects, uh, literally in all definitions of the word. And so while I was there in Oakland, uh, literally on, on the corner, holding up a sign encouraging everyone to pray for Jahai, uh, it was a, a marvelous opportunity to, to, to witness you know, our, our pro-life passion. Uh, unfortunately, uh, there wasn't the, the type of response um, I, I hope to receive uh, from the movement at large. But now, it, in order to be, uh, to be fair, uh, this did happen 
uh, became really public at a time where it was uh, during the holidays. And as I uh, pursued this, Thomas, because you and I were talking about this, I pursued this, I've come to understand that uh, they did not know about it uh, until it was too late. Uh, But, Thomas, you are absolutely correct. To to be pro-life means that we'll not only fight to uh, support women and children, fight to uh, support the end of abortion, but we'll also fight to minister to the needs of the families fighting for the lives of their children, uh, even in a a hospital. Also, yeah, I have some uh, experiences that uh, have led me to – champion this cause. We, we're going to try to make this more available to the public so that the public can be educated, fully informed, and then activated. Well, you know, they um, they may say it was too late to get involved, but see, Dr. Byrne mentioned something. He said that, you know, Jahai now, because Medi-Cal declared her, well, the state of California legally declared her dead, she, so now she lost her, her, her medical insurance from the state of California. Well, here is another example for the pro-life movement to put their money where their mouth is. And regardless of whatever the family's personal views are on abortion, and that's not the issue. If you say that you're about life, here is a young lady who is fighting for her life piling up hundreds of thousands of dollars in medical expenses, and you don't hear a peep about it. And and I believe this is an opportunity, Walter, for the pro-life movement to put their money where their mouth is. This, that's, one, that's one of the reasons, Thomas, I, I would a- agree that with you that I, I'm involved in it. Um, we have continued to raise the banner uh, regarding the issue of brain death. Uh, We're even looking at uh, other cases where organs were taken and beginning to understand that when organs are literally taken, that the the individual is still alive. There may be a beating heart. They may be able to respond to touch. The the person isn't literally uh, uh, dead. And so there's so much more that needs to be done in terms of, of education, and a lot of it needs to be done in terms of education within the pro-life movement. And so right. Dr. Byrne and I have been working hard trying to raise uh, this issue and trying to further this cause. And it's uh, programs like yours and Letitia's that are making this issue known uh, to the public and not only um, the public just simply at large, uh, but many in the pro-life movement as well. Right. Walter, I agree with all the things you're saying there. And then I would also put in that I uh, write a column at uh, www.renewamerica.com, and I've written uh, uh, at least four articles about Jahai, but I get essentially no response, and I write them trying to draw attention to to uh, uh, what's going on with Jahai, and then uh, I even make sure that the pro-life news agencies uh, hear about it, but nothing happens. 
Nothing happens, mm. and and it, it's it's almost like, like uh, who cares? Who cares if it's not my daughter? Who cares? Uh, uh, and then, uh, and then sometimes when I push on that, as I uh, talk to a a, uh, a neurologist uh, at, at a, a meeting recently, uh, he basically said. He'd rather have his organs taken than continue on treatment, uh, and uh, uh, that kind of thing. And uh, this is so um, uh, foreign to, uh, uh, to uh, at least to me as a doctor who uh, uh, learned the way we learn medicine is to do everything we could to make the correct diagnosis and then uh, uh, to uh, treat the patient and. Uh, even when we didn't have uh, an exciting new treatment, we still treated them. We never deserted them. And mm -hmm. what we have going on in our society now is if uh, uh, if somebody is unconscious on a ventilator, then get their organs. Or if we don't know how to treat them, then send them off someplace so they get medication uh, until they're dead. Uh, and and um, yes, the pro-life movement, Walter's part of it, I'm part of it, and yes, there were a few of the other leaders in the pro-life movement. Judy Brown at American Life League spoke up, uh, and and uh, but really not very many others. And then these things involve uh, uh, not only doctors, but I've said many times, any one of you doctors out there, come join me, any one of you, not any of them, come. What about the lawyers? What about the theologians? I mean, I hate right. to take them all on, but when are people going to wake up? This is serious matter that Jahai is a 13-year-old a, a, uh, girl uh, who got an operation, went into the hospital to get an operation. Something terrible happened, and the next thing you know, they're trying to take her organs. What kind of a society is this? And then if you can't have your organs then we'll turn off the ventilator, the life-supporting ventilator. We'll take, just take that away from you. In the meantime, if you won't do that, we'll starve you. I mean, what is this? I mean, if, if I, how to wake people up and to realize, the, uh, sure, it, it, uh, it involves Jahai and her mother and her family, but it could involve anybody's child, anybody's grandchild, anybody's family. And it isn't just in California, uh, and, and, and there's no limitation to what's going on. The, the, right. the laws are essentially the same in, in all the states, and the getting of organs is uh, federally co coordinated. And, and, uh, the, the, and uh, uh, I don't want to take on the, uh, the pro-life movement, uh, but uh, um, we have an organization called Life Guardian Foundation, and we protect and preserve life uh, from the beginning until true death. And we don't have any exceptions. That's what Walter's saying, too. He doesn't have any exceptions. We don't know the answers to everything, but we know that every life is precious. Every person is unique and unrepeatable. And, and uh, we know that we should not be hastening the death or shortening the life of people. Right. We should protect and preserve their life. Right. I, I, I agree. And um, we are, our time is running short. And I, I, I wanted to reassure you that I think that, um, you know what, if, if, 
if people aren't listening, then we the message still has to go out. You know, if the life sites uh, that are the the pro life news uh, sites are not publishing this vital information, it still needs to be published regardless. Um, and you know, we are in for that. I think the consistent pro life ethic has to go out forward. You know, from wherever we find it. I think the you know I've been battling in my mind, you know, where is the disconnect? Why aren't we a fully orbed pro-life community that cares just as much about abortion as we do about um, a 13-year-old girl whose life is hangs in the balance based on our decisions? I think both need to be treated equally as important. Um, and, you know, it may just take a small group that grows, hopefully, prayerfully, with uh, enough um, enough emphasis, we can probably make that movement. I, I know that everything starts small, but I think yeah. we need to to keep at it. You know, I think the important thing is not to get over you know, I'm proud and I'm thankful and I am I am very proud to have this story run on our program. Like I told our listeners earlier, this is cutting edge stuff that we you're not gonna hear anywhere else, at least not today. Hopefully hey, tomorrow please, somebody's going to pick that up. But please, for sir. today we are. Uh, I'm sorry. What is that, Thomas? No, I was gonna. I was gonna say before you go. Um, I want to share something with you, and and actually everybody listening, because this this. Uh, I don't. I don't think I ever shared this with you, Leticia, but True Life Fridays Radio, formerly known as Pro Life Fridays Radio was actually instrumental in kind of getting getting this whole what's going on um involved because in Walter I don't think um I don't think he ever shared this but that's fine. I'm gonna share this because I'm honored and I'm proud to that we had an opportunity to be a part of this. But right after this happened last December, I called Walter and asked him if he had heard about Jihad, and he had not heard anything, and he said, "And he said, Thomas, let me look into this, and I will get back to you." And so, as a result of that, see, this is what it's about when you see something, because that's Walter's right there in the San Francisco area. That's why I called. And so. For, True Life Fridays Radio, God used us to be a part in this phenomenal and miraculous development. And I personally believe with all my heart that Jahai will make a full recovery. So I just wanted to share that with everybody. And thank you, Walter, Dr. Burns, for y'all's, um, y'all's unconditional love and unwavering dedication to Jahai and also the issue of life as a whole. Thank you to very much. Thank you for thank you, letting us be on the program. Yeah, I have to. I have to reiterate that too. Yes, thank you. All right, uh, we need to move on. Thank you again to our great, great guests, all of them, all three of them. Um, but uh, we will return to this, and we're going to stay on top of this story, no matter how things turn out. Uh, again, we always wish the best and pray for the best for Jahai to make a full recovery. And we're going to stay on top of this uh, this uh, story, just like I said. Uh, we're going to go real quick, though, to be, for the time that we have left, 
to oh, what should go first? <laughs> let's let's do our stupidest thing ever because I think because I think we need it. We've had some heavy, heavy, heavy stories come our way. We need a little bit of a relief for that. So, oh, what did I find this week? Except that. A headline that is on in the Daily, I think it's the Daily Mirror, it's a UK magazine that says that environmentalists in Great Britain claim that the British need to eat fewer baked beans because of the impact of quote unquote smelly emissions on yeah. global warming. I'm sorry, is it climate change? Uh, wow! Uh, but um, oh, that's our boy. that's our stupidest thing ever. Let me let me play our music real quick, uh, so that we can talk about that. And uh, just for just for everybody's knowledge, the stupidest thing ever is a story that I find or someone finds for us <laughs> uh, that kind of encapsulates uh, all that is dumb in America and beyond. Hey, so here this we go. Okay, apparently the story says that, you know how, how in the past we've had environmentalists say that cows releasing methane is a big problem for the environment. Well, they're saying the same thing about human methane, <laughs> humanly produced methane being a problem for global warming. Um Climate change minister Lady Verma yesterday urged the public to moderate their behavior after Labour peer Viscount Simon raised questions in the House of Lords about the impact of eating of human eating habits. Wow. Um, okay, so they want human beings to here. Here's how this goes: they want human beings to reduce our our methane emissions, for lack of a better word, because of global warming, because it supposedly contributes to global warming. And they so, so the way that they're gonna, this is going to happen is that Great Britain needs to eat fewer beans. Time out, time out, time out, time out. So are the so are you trying to tell me that the Brits are just saying that they need to fart less? Is that it? They need to. They need to what? Fart less. Oh, yeah, that's exactly what it's saying. <laughs> that's exactly well. what it's saying. And, and so, but the ironic thing you hear here, I because I love irony and I see it everywhere. Beans are okay. You can't win for trying. Okay, so people are supposed to be eating less meat to save the environment, and now it seems like you can't eat vegetables either. Because it... Well... So what's left in the world to eat? Oh, I think I know where this is population to decrease by several billion. And what's the most efficient way to do that is to starve everybody. Just stop right. eating. There we go, people. That is today's stupidest thing ever. 
Okay. Um, and the very, very, very last thing I have for us today is some bittersweet news. Bittersweet news. Kathleen Sebelius, whose ter- who's, who's turn to be HHS secretary has been long overdue, is now leaving the office. She has announced her resignation, and she's going to go back to Kansas. So, so sorry for you, Kansas. But at the same time, this woman has been atrocious. She has been atrocious. She was an atrocious governor. She was atrocious uh, as as a federal service employee. She has been atrocious all over the place because she is so rab- rabidly pro-abortion. Yep. But it was called on her. It was called on her that she was going to uh, last only as long as Obamacare was implemented or signed up. Uh, the sign-up period is over, or we had begun. I'm sorry, the sign-up period has begun, and now she will go. Unfortunately, who's replacing her probably won't be much better. <clears throat> yep. And you have anything to say about that? <laughs> Yep, the lady who was the head of the Bill Gates Foundation, who's the most, which the Gates Foundation is the most radically pro-abortion foundation in America. You know, they also are um, funding yeah. the Depo-Provera studies, et cetera. Mm-hmm. We can go on and on and on. But So to Kathleen Sebelius, See ya. Wouldn't want to be you. Don't let the door... Exactly. Good night, everybody. We'll see you back here on Two Nights Friday next Friday. Good night. See you next week.